Hey everybody, this is Ruben, and you're listening to Amazing Stories. This is what we'll do. You'll wear my hat and coat and you'll take the walk for me. Take it slowly, keep your hands linked behind your back and keep to the middle of the path. If you fail to do any of those things, I'll shoot you. When you reach the hut, go inside and tell the general I'm indulging in an elementary precaution. Then come back for me. It's not the plan. You don't have a lot of choice. If there's any monkey business, I'll turn the headlights on and shoot you along the beam. Okay. Okay. Go on now. Make me trust you. You bloody bastards! I'd heard there was trouble, but there was always trouble. A big operation had aborted in Czechoslovakia. The Foreign Office had blown a gasket, and there were questions in Parliament. Jim Prido, the oldest Czecho hand, had been shot up and captured by the Soviets. Control went on immediate sick leave. For weeks afterwards, the circus was silent. No, more than silent. Frozen. Peter, can I buy you a drink? On a Tuesday? Only I've been sacked, you see. Oh, George. Yeah, oh, well, in that case. Thank you. Did they give you a reason? Or is it just because you've lost your figure? They don't have to give me reasons. I can write my own damn reasons. It's Checo business. I was in Berlin that weekend on Control's instructions. So you'd be out of the way? So I presume. Only Control knew Jim Prado was in Czechoslovakia, let alone what he was up to. Bloody mess. Quite. So now it's out with Control and all who sailed in him. Rather a mixed metaphor, Peter. Uh, sorry, I'm a bit drunk. I suppose if we follow the rules of the circus, this means our friendship's over. I suppose so. What will you do? Live quietly, read. A little research, perhaps. You can spend more time with Anne. Yes. Next day, it was confirmed that Control wasn't coming back. Percy Allerline was made head of the service with Bill Hayden under him. By Christmas, Control was dead. I was sent away too, but only as far as Brixton. To my surprise, they gave me Jim Prido's old job, heading up the scalp hunters, the thugs. We're the ones who do the jobs too dirty or too risky for the residents abroad. At least I still had a salary, and for the next year or so, I kept my head down and earned it. Wonderful to see you, George. Do have the lamb. They do the best lamb in London here. And then I want all the dirt. We hear nothing of the Foreign Office. Everyone's terribly mealy-mouthed. I can't think why. I'm rather out of touch these days. No, not you, George. Oh, Lord. Why on earth did I agree to dine with Roddy Martindale? I could have made my excuses. You were cross with me. You'd just seen your bank statement. Yes. Must you take quite so much of my pension, Anne? 
So, George, do you love England still? Tell him, George. Tell him you've spent the last year looking for a purpose in life. Do be quiet. Sorry, old chap? Nothing, Roddy, excuse me. Can I help it, poor Toad, if you can't get me out of your mind? How's the delicious Anne? She's away at the moment. How nicely you put it, George. I didn't put it at all nicely this morning when your garage bill arrived. Why did you break down in Immingham? Is that where he lives, your out-of-work actor? I'm seriously thinking of throwing you out for good. Don't be so vulgar. Send me flowers instead. Terrible what happened to Control. You and he were like that, weren't you? That's why they got rid of you. If you say so, Roddy. I say more than that. I say Control never died at all. But he's been seen. Willie Androwater walked straight into him at Joburg Airport. That's the most idiotic story I've ever heard. Control died of a heart attack after a long illness. I saw the body. I went to his funeral. At a hateful crematorium in the East End. I was the only mourner and the parson had a speech impediment. Really? Oh, well. Willie Androwater always was a dreadful liar. It was that check scandal that did for control, wasn't it? Leave it, Roddy, please. That poor fellow who was shot in the back, got himself in the newspapers. The, the one who was so thick with Bill Hayden. Um, uh, Jim Prido. Mm. I can never quite believe in Percy Adeline as chief, can you? Really, Roddy, I can't help you. Who's earning Percy his reputation? Who's the clever boots? If you don't mind... Bill Hayden, that's who. Dashing Bill, our latter-day Lawrence of Arabia. My handsome cousin, Bill. I'm told that you and Bill shared everything once upon a time. Oh, really? You featherhead Martindale. You pompous, bogus... Still, Bill never was orthodox. Genius never is. Why did I come? I knew it would be ghastly. One calls it politeness, but it's nothing but weakness. You should have brought a hat. You always say I look ridiculous in a hat. Do I? How cruel of me. I shall sell the London house. I'll move to the Cotswolds. If you try to come back... Yes? I'll slam the door in your face. Or not, I suppose. Depending on... Yes? George? Well, on how much you want to come back. Hurry home, George. You're getting soaked. There's a trickle of water running down the left side of your neck. Thank you, I'm aware of that. Cars jammed the curbs of Bywater Street. From long habit, Smiley checked the plates. Partly it was a memory test, a private Kim's game to keep his mind from going soft in retirement. Partly it was the fear we all have, that one day an enemy you once made but have long forgotten might step out of the shadows to demand a reckoning. I'd left him a clue in the hall stand. You must have been here for some time, Peter. Your umbrella is bone dry. Hello, George. You may as well put the light on, you know. <laughs> you had to come back eventually. Very neat, Peter. You replaced the splinters in the door lock exactly. You haven't lost your touch. Thank you. You still in charge of the Brixton thugs? Yes, still. Control always preached that good intelligence work was gradual and rested on a kind of gentleness. Oh, we're the exception that proves the rule. <laughs> mm. 
I'm surprised they haven't thrown you out with the rest of us. You had all the qualifications, good at your work, loyal, discreet. Is it worth me taking off my coat or are we going somewhere? Egham. Egham? At this time of night? To see Lakin of the Cabinet Office. Oh, must be important. You might want to take a scarf. My car's rather drafty. Sports cars always are. You'll regret wearing suede shoes on a night like this. Is uh, lateralism a word to you? Most certainly not. It's the indoctrine in the circus. What's it supposed to mean? That while we used to go up and down, now we go sideways. Well, that's made everything terribly clear. <laughs> in your day, there was a hierarchy. There were departments for Africa, China, Russia, and so forth, each with its own juju man. Control sat in heaven and held the strings. Remember? It strikes a distant chord. Well, these days, instead of a hierarchy led from the top, we have a, a sideways-archy. Wherever it is in the world, everything operational is now under one hat. It's called London Station. Bill Hayden's commander, Roy Bland's is number two. Toby Esterhazy runs between them like a poodle. A service within a service. I suppose. They share their own secrets and don't mix with us proles. Makes us more secure, apparently. Oh. What's the news of Jim Prido? I heard they got him out in the end. Jim's in quarantine. Nobody talks about him. Can he get around, you know? Backs can be very tricky. The word is he manages pretty well. How's Anne? I didn't ask. Fine. Uh, it's here somewhere, the turning. Damn this rain. You turn right at the pillar box. You've been here before? Oliver Lakin's Berkshire Camelot, yes. Once, when Jim Prido was headline news. It was raining then, too. All well, sir. Thank you, Gwillem. Uh, our guest is in my study. What has Gwillem told you? Nothing at all. He's admirably discreet. Go through, George. I'll have Fawn lock us in, shall I? Is that necessary? I think it's advisable, sir. You remember Mr Smiley? Mr Smiley. You once gave me a job, sir. Changed my first nappy, so to speak. Tar, sir. Ricky Tar from Penang. The lawyer's boy? Yes, I remember. I've rather lost sight of you in recent years. Ah, I went to Brazil, then Spain for Bill Hayden. Ah, yes, of course. Yes, everyone heard about that. In Brixton, they call me accident-prone. We call you a lot worse than that. <laughs> George, what are your drinking habits? Can I get you a scotch or anything? It's winter, after all. Is there any water by any chance? I'm unaccountably thirsty. Of course. Gwillem? Um, no, thanks. Yeah. Thank you. Well, I suppose I'd better make my pitch. It happened about six months ago. April. Let's keep it precise, shall we? Things were pretty quiet down in Brixton. It was silly season. And out of the blue came a flash requisition from the Hong Kong residency. They had a Soviet trade delegation in town and one of the delegates was stepping wide in the nightclubs. Name of Boris. The local boys reckoned a crash approach might turn him. The yield didn't look that special, but so what? He flew out on March the 31st, with an Australian passport describing him as a car salesman and two virgin Swiss escape passports as contingency. One for Tar, one for Boris. Now, Boris would stick with a delegation all day, then he'd split off and go drinking at night. Now, every Soviet delegation has a couple of gorillas to keep the boys out of the flesh pots. 
So how come Boris slipped the leash so easily? He develops a couple of regular haunts, one called Angelica's over in one shy. So you settled yourself at Angelica's to observe him? Well, all he does is sit and drink. But believe me, Mr Smiley, you couldn't have sat better than Boris. He had his pick of the exits, a fine view of the action, he was right-handed and he was covered by a left-hand wall. He was a professional. Oh, no doubt about it. So now, I'm in a bit of a fix, see? Yeah? Well, it's one thing to try and turn a small-time trade delegate, but you can't take a swing at a Moscow Centre-trained hood. There are rules about that kind of thing, right, Mr Gwillem? Bill Hayden's orders. Since the reorganisation, scalp hunters can't trawl for double agents. Potentials have to be turned over to London Station. I cabled Mr Gwillem no sow and went shopping. But I couldn't get a flight till Thursday, so I thought, just to pay for my fare, I might as well burgle Boris's hotel room. He was at the Alexandra. The locks there give up when they see you coming. I do my little magic trick, and without much trouble, there I am in Boris's room waiting for my eyes to adjust to the dark. I wasn't expecting a woman. Boris? Yeah. Yeah, Boris. Yeah, Boris, he's just the guy I want to see. Where the hell is he? Who are you? What do you want? To talk to Boris. What about? That's private. I'm his wife. He's got some answering to do. I'm damned if I'm going to have my money and my girl stolen in a single night by some lousy Russian who can't pay for his pleasures. Your girl? I appreciate it's a shock, Mrs. Boris. But nobody else is giving me the runaround tonight. I'm stopping here till he comes back. My name's Thomas. Tony Thomas. Are you drunk? Why shouldn't I be drunk? Why shouldn't I be like normal people? The sociable thing will be to share the bottle. I am sociable. I am a jolly person, Thomas. A normal, sociable girl. A kid born free, not in captivity. I hate him, Thomas. Tony. Thomas is my surname. You look like Thomas. I call you Thomas. Have a drink, Thomas. It was 11.30 when I made Boris's room. I left at 1.30 with the promise of a meeting the next night. There was gold in her. I could sense it. And this lady was all set to be generous. I understand. First thing next morning, I cancelled my flight and changed my hotel. What did you tell London? Nothing. Why not? Because he's a devious fool. Long ago, when I was a little boy, I made a mistake and walked into a honey trap. Made an ass of himself with a Polish girl. He sensed her generosity too. So how could I expect Mr Gwillem to believe me? I reckon no one would miss me till Tuesday. The housekeepers posted him AWOL on the Monday. You broke every rule in the book, Ricky. And some that aren't. By the middle of the week, Bill Hayden was beating his war drums. Irina and I met the next night and the one after that. She relaxed a bit once she realised she wasn't being followed. She talked and talked. She told me she was in love with me. You took her to bed? I considered it my patriotic duty. Uh, let's get on, shall we? You make me happy, Thomas. Yeah, well, I'm pretty happy too, as it goes. I want to tell you something. That I'm the best? <laughs> you know that already. <laughs> no, it's a secret. 
I like secrets. We work for Moscow Center, Thomas. Both of us. Me and Boris. And what's Moscow Center when it's at home? Don't joke, Thomas. I know you're in the trade. Don't miss anything. Ever. I think you are an English colonel of intelligence. Is there some vodka left? Plenty. Pour me some. I like the English. They're gentlemen. I thought you liked it rough. I need to speak to Percy Allerline. I will tell him a great secret. And he will give me a job in the circus working for Colonel Thomas. I don't know anyone called Percy. You don't trust me, Thomas? You think I make this up? You listen now. She just let go. Mummy, Daddy, recruitment, training, a lousy half-marriage, the lot. Then she starts barking the dirt about the Soviet Hong Kong setup. I was going crazy to remember it all. But you did. Near on. I knew she hadn't told me the whole truth, but truth comes hard to a girl who's been a hood since puberty. I saw her every day after that. She was drinking a lot by then. She was a nice kid, Mr Smiley. A nice kid putting her life on the line. Hold me, Thomas. Make me safe. Don't you worry. Such a danger we're in. I have to talk to Percy Allerline. Only Percy Allerline will do. But what is it? This big secret? Tell me. Only Percy. Please, Thomas. Percy will let me come to England and give me a job. All right. I'll cable London tonight. Thank you. Thank you, my darling. But only Allerline, promise me. Nobody but Adeline. Let's run away. I can't go back. Not to the hotel. Not to Boris. You have to act like everything's all right. I can't. I love you. Let me stay with you. Go back to your hotel. Stick with the delegation. Pretend everything's normal. I'll get a message to you. We'll set up a letter drop. I know a place. I love you. We will be together, won't we? Of course. You and me. Free forever. I told her what she wanted to hear. I was frightened to death she'd belt home and sing the lot to Boris. By then it was Wednesday and a delegation was due to return to Moscow on Friday. So I took the plunge and walked in on the local resident while he was opening up the shop. I coded up the message myself. Wednesday, April the 11th, in London, the early hours of the morning. I applied for full defective treatment for Irina. I held out for all the goodies, cash, nationality, a new identity. I outlined her career and the job she'd had at Moscow Centre. I asked for inquisitors and an Air Force plane. I gave it the London Station Address Group, I graded it flash, and by hand of officer only. That's the new formula for maximum limit. They're supposed to cut out handling in the coding rooms. But not in London Station. That's their affair. 
Oh, you heard Bill Hayden got that job, I suppose, head of London Station. He's effectively their chief of operations, just as Percy used to be when Control was there. You ought to bring him out to date, Willem. I think I have the picture. Thank you. Irina spoke to you of a great secret. Did you give any hint of this in your cable to London? Have I stepped on a toe, by any chance? Mr Smiley knows nothing beyond what you have so far told him in this room. Correct, Willem? Yes. I told London the same as she told me. What form of words, precisely? I wonder whether you remember that. Claims to have further information crucial to the well-being of the circus, but not yet disclosed. Thank you. Thank you very much. I also requested Head of London Station to inform Mr Gwillem here that I'd landed on my feet and wasn't playing hooky for the hell of it. Nobody said anything to me. I hung around all day for a reply, but nothing came. I waited till evening, then cabled a flash follow-up. You had an acknowledgement? We read you, that's all. I waited the whole damn night. By dawn, I thought maybe an RAF plane was already on its way, that London was playing it long. When you're that far away, you have to believe they're good. What answer did you eventually receive? It wasn't an answer. It was a stall. <laughs> Tell us what section she worked in. Names of former contacts inside Moscow Centre. I don't know what else. I drafted a reply very fast because I had a three o'clock date with her down at the church. Church? English Baptist. It was where we set up our letter drop. I hung around the entrance looking natural, but she didn't show. It was the first time she'd broken a date. She didn't make our fallback either, so I knew something was wrong. What was the priority of London Station's telegram to you? Immediate. But yours was flash? Both of mine was flash. Was London's telegram signed? They're not anymore. Outsiders deal with London Station as a unit. I had this idea I might go down to the airport. I told the cab driver to go like hell, didn't even query the price. I went nearly mad going through the flight lists, yelling at Chinese clerks but there wasn't a plane in or out of Moscow since yesterday evening. Then this little girl comes through with the answer. One of the Chinese hostesses. She fancies me, see. An unscheduled Soviet plane had taken off two hours ago. Only four passengers, two male nurses and a doctor. The centre of attention was a woman invalid, a woman in a coma. They casted her to the plane on a stretcher and her face was... Wrapped in bandages. I called the Alexandra as a last hope. Neither Irina nor her fake husband had checked out of their room, but there was no reply. The hotel didn't even know they'd left. Oh, I'm sorry about that. It's my daughter. She does half an hour's practice every morning before school. Perhaps Irina was ill. Perhaps there were real nurses who took her away. By her own account, she was a mess. It didn't stack up, Mr Smiley. I tell London about Irina and her big secret. The next thing you know, she's being strong-armed back to Moscow. Only 24 hours had elapsed between your first telegram and Irina's departure. You can hardly lay the blame at London's door on that timing. You can, just. It's extremely fast, but it does work. If somebody in London had very good footwork, and in Moscow too, of course. I don't mind admitting. I went a bit berserk for about 24 hours or so. I don't often get that way. Often enough. I was upset. I cared about the kid, OK? Of course you did, Ricky. I mean it. Once I sobered up, I decided that before I flew back to London, I'd check our letter drop. Just in case. And had she left a letter? A letter? <laughs> a whole bloody diary. Show him. 
It's not the original. I'll put that back in case they know about it. This is a copy. Oliver, I wonder if we might take a little pause now. Perhaps until your daughter has finished her practice. D of course. I'm awfully sorry. No, no, she plays nicely. Yes, doesn't she? I'll get Fawn to make us some coffee, shall I? That would be very pleasant. Perhaps in the meantime, I might have a glance at Irina's diary. This is my gift for you, in case they take you away before I speak to Adeline. Before I joined the Trade Ministry, I worked in the filing department of Moscow Centre headquarters in Dzerzhinsky Square. The work was boring, I was unmarried. There was a clerk, blonde like you. Sometimes only the body can speak for us. We began an affair. He was very sweet. He wanted to impress me. He told me a secret to bind us closer together. Have you heard of Karla? He's an old fox, the most cunning in the center. There is a great conspiracy. My blonde clerk told me that he had worked for Karla as a helper in this great conspiracy. He had been stationed in England under cover of being a driver at the embassy. He used the work name Lapin. He was proud of this. I did not tell him it meant rabbit in French. His task was to help service a mole. A mole burrowed deep into the fabric of Western imperialism. An Englishman recruited by Carla before the war. The mole was known by the code name Gerald. Gerald. Such an English name. My clerk seemed to be nobody at the embassy, but he was the secret assistant of a colonel. A colonel whose work name is Polyakov. Polyakov is an old professional of great cunning. His cover job is cultural attaché, but his real work is briefing and debriefing the mole Gerald on instruction from Carla. Carla controls the mole Gerald. Gerald is a high functionary in the circus. Thomas, you should tell the story only to the most trustworthy people. You must tell nobody in the circus, for no one can be trusted until the riddle is solved. This morning, when I went downstairs for coffee, the guards watched me like animals. Have you been indiscreet? Did you contact the wrong person in London? You see now why only Adeline would do. You need not blame yourself. I can guess what you have told them. In my heart, I'm free. Do you know what made me free? My love, Thomas. My love for you. This all happened six months ago. What have you been doing since? Resting. He panicked and went native. Went to Malaya, holed up in Kuala Lumpur. He has a daughter in one of the hill villages there. Danny's my little girl. I shacked up with her and her mother. Why did you choose this particular moment to come to us? Don't you want to spend Christmas with Danny? Some Frenchman turned up in KL telling everyone I owed him money. Wanted to get some lawyer hounding me. I don't owe anyone money. At the circus, he's still posted as a defector. Presumed. What have they done about it so far? I don't know. 
London Station held a couple of war parties a while back, but they didn't invite me. What passports he been using? I threw away Thomas the day I hit Malaya. Reckoned he wasn't exactly flavour of the month in Moscow, and I'd better kill him off. I had a man I know run me up a British passport in the name of Paul. Why not use one of your Swiss escapes? They were numbered, Mr Smiley. If London had the numbers, maybe Moscow did too. So what did you do with them? Got rid of them. Sold them, more likely. Or swapped them for that one. Got rid of them how? Did you burn them? Yes, I burned them. So, when you say this Frenchman was looking for you... He was looking for Paul. How on earth could he know about Paul? Paul didn't exist till you got to Kuala Lumpur. Exactly. That's why I thought I'd better come back. I've got a girl who's an air hostess with South African. A pal flew me cargo to the Cape. At the Cape, my girl hitched me a free ride to Dublin with one of the pilots. As far as anyone back east knows, I never left the peninsula. I'm doing what I can to check his story. Well, you be damn careful, baby, because I don't want the wrong people on my back. Why did you come to Mr Gwillem? Didn't it cross your mind he might turn you straight over to Alaline? After all, you're a wanted man to the circus top brass. Mr Gwillem's my boss. Besides... I don't figure he's any fonder of the new arrangement than you are, Mr Smiley. He knew where I garage my car. He left a note on it, signed with an old work name. He suggested a place to meet and put in a veiled plea for privacy before I took my trade elsewhere. As soon as I'd heard Tar's story, I rang Lakin from a call box and asked for an interview. Rang Lakin down here or in London? Down here. There's no reason to suppose the phone was tapped. There was every reason. Oh, come now. I reckon there are bigger things to argue about. If Irina is right, if Gerald exists, you boys are going to need a whole new circus. Nice to get some fresh air. This is a terrible time of year for a garden, isn't it? A mole in the circus. If Tar is to be believed... He wasn't telling us the whole truth, I'm certain of that. When you came to me last year with a similar suggestion, I'm afraid I threw you out. You said my inquiries were unconstitutional. Did I? How very pompous of me. I'm afraid it's difficult to know when to trust you people and when not. You do live by rather different standards. I mean, you have to, I accept that. I'm not being judgmental. Our aims are the same, after all, even if our methods are different. No, I think sometimes it's difficult to know what one's aims are if one's British. Why the devil did she choose Tar? Of all the people in the world to choose for a confessor. Well, you'd have to ask a woman that question, not me. No, quite. Oh, that's a complete mystery. I'm seeing a minister at 11. I have to put him in the picture. We should talk about Jim Pridder, shouldn't we? I suppose so. We both held perfectly honourable positions. You felt that Prido had been betrayed and wanted a witch hunt. My minister and I felt there had been gross incompetence on the part of control. A view which, to put it mildly, the Foreign Office shared. And we wanted a new broom. I quite understand your dilemma. And don't forget, George, you were control's man. When he lost his grip and launched that whole extraordinary adventure, it was you who fronted for him. It must have seemed like that. It's not every day that the head of one's secret service embarks on a private war against the Czechs. Operation Testify. You were in the hot seat and... And Percy Alaline was the minister's man. It wasn't as if you had a suspect, you know. A directionless inquiry can be extraordinarily destructive. Whereas a new broom sweeps cleaner. All in all, Percy has done extremely well. He has produced intelligence instead of scandal. 
He's won the trust of the Americans, and he has not yet, to my knowledge, invaded Czechoslovak territory. Is that special sauce still running? Sauce Merlin, as I recall. I didn't know you were ever on the list. Since you ask, yes. Merlin's our mainstay. The product is codenamed Witchcraft. The circus hasn't turned in such good material for years. Still subject to all that special handling? Certainly. Now this has happened, I've no doubt that we shall take even more rigorous precautions. I wouldn't. Gerald might smell a rat. So what do we do? We can't investigate because all the instruments of inquiry are in the circus's hands. Perhaps in Gerald's hands. We can't watch or listen or open mail. That would require the resources of Toby Esterhazy and his lamplighters, and Esterhazy, like everyone else, must be suspect. It's the oldest question of all, George. Who can spy on the spies? Go to the police. They'll do you a job. We have agents in the field. I wouldn't give much for their chances once the gentlemen from the police barge in. How many agents? Six hundred, give or take a few. And behind the curtain? We budget for a hundred and twenty. So far as I can make out from the financial returns, almost all of them are presently active. Can I tell the minister you'll do it? Clean the stables. Go backwards, forwards, do whatever is necessary. It's your generation, after all, your legacy. I shall want Peter Gwillem's assistance. Your cooperation, of course. And someone from outside the service. There's a man called Mendel, whom I trust, formerly of Special Branch. He's very discreet, and you'll have no problem getting him cleared. I should like to use him. Thanks, George. I feel badly about Jim Predder. A bullet in the back is quite a sacrifice, isn't it? Even in your world. Smiley made a couple of phone calls. Then I drove him back to Bywater Street. I sat in the car while he packed a suitcase. He didn't think it was safe to work from home. Do you need quite so many pairs of socks, George? I don't know how long I'll be gone. Oh, what am I doing? Shut up and go away, Anne. I don't ask you to think about me, do I? But I'm glad you're angry. It's about time. You've been denying it ever since you retired. Nobody leaves the circus without some unfinished business. I did tell you. I warned you not to rot. I never was and never have been indispensable. It is sheer vanity to believe that one fat, middle-aged spy is the only person capable of holding the world together. You know the place went bad. You know Jim Priddo was betrayed. What more eloquent testimony is there than two bullets in the back? And now here they all are. The ghosts of my past. Laken, Control, Carla, Alaline, Esterhazy, Bland, and Bill Bloody Hayden. I thought I'd left them behind. Then tell Laken no. For what reason, exactly? Oh, there are always a dozen reasons for doing nothing. There's only ever one reason for doing something. And that is? Because you want to. Or have to? Nobody has to do anything, George. Coercion's just another word for doing what you want. Or not doing what you're afraid of. If old Major Dover hadn't dropped dead at Taunton Races, Jim Priddo would never have gone to teach at Thursgood's Academy. He arrived in mid-term on a Friday without an interview. Of the whole school, only little Bill Roach saw Jim arrive, saw the old red Alvis steaming as it towed the second-hand caravan towards that patch of waste ground known to all at the school as the dip. 
You might as well come down here and give me a hand, you know? Sir. Sorry, sir. Come down here. You were watching me? Yes, sir. What's your name? Roach, sir. I'm a new boy. <laughs> new boy, eh? Well, I'm not a new boy. I'm an old boy. Old as Rip Van Winkle, if you want to know. How long were you there? Not long. A few minutes. Sorry, Six and sir. a half minutes. You kept very still. Yes. That's good watching. Next time, be close to a tree or a bush or something. I can see your outline against the sky. I I'll remember, sir. Got any friends? No, sir. My other name's Bill. I was christened Bill, but Mr Thursgood calls me William. Bill, eh? The unpaid Bill. Anyone ever call you that? No, sir. Good name. Known a lot of Bills. They've all been good'uns. I had a good friend named Bill. A very good friend. Oh, help me get this monster's leg straight, will you? Pass me one of those bricks, we'll wedge it under. This ground's not level, see? The old van's legs need to be straight, north to south, east to west, don't want it skew with. Will this one do, sir? And that'll do nicely. Oh, have you hurt yourself, sir? Your shoulder? Oh, this? No, it's an old injury, Bill. Can't shift it. Stuck like this for good now. Skew with, like the caravan. Right. Sorry, sir. No need. What are you good at? Nothing really, sir. Everyone's good at something. Football? No, sir. Are you a swap, then? You don't look like one. Although you're a loner, I can see that. Yes. <laughs> My best thing was ducks and drakes. What's yours? I don't know. I'll tell you one thing for nothing. You're a good watcher. Us singles always are. No one to rely on but us, eh? You gave me a real turn out there, standing on the horizon like that. Thought you were a juju man. Best watcher in the unit, Bill Roach is. I'll bet. As long as he's got his specs on, eh? <laughs> Will it do? Very well, Mendel. Thank you. It's very quiet. In everything except the decor. Well, it's a private hotel in Paddington, Mr. Somali. What do you expect? You want it somewhere discreet? Set up your headquarters? No, really, it's very suitable. How did you find it? The owner's an old informant, Mrs. Pope Graham. She was just Graham when I knew her. She's added the Pope. For grandeur, do you think, or out of deference to Rome? The card table's an extra. She says it's Georgian, and will you please love it for her? I will do my very best. You're registered as Mr. Barraclough. I've taken the room for two weeks, and I've given Mrs. P an extra 20 dirty onces to make a note of any and all comings and goings. Times of entry and exit, contacts, anyone asking questions, all that. Also, incoming letters. Thank you. You'll be most thorough. Oh, that's Peter. Come in. Ah. Hello, Mendel. I thought you'd retired. I keep trying. Then Mr. Smiley phones. <laughs> uh, I've put a system in place with Lakin. Any cabinet office papers you need will also be on call to his staff. There'll be hell to pay if anyone finds they're missing, so he'll spirit them out at close of play drop them off here on his way home. He'll pick them up the next morning. He'll have to work at night. What about scalp hunter material? I checked out a sub-miniature camera from our stores. Will that attract attention? You yeah, shouldn't think so. Something I do from time to time to keep my hand in. We've got quite a lot of Brixton which might prove useful. I can give you priorities. The staff directory, the handbook on staff duties, 
The one with the fold-out diagram of the circus reorganisation under Alleline. Which I don't know anything about, should I? Uh, it's need to know, isn't it? No, I think Mendel qualifies, Peter. We're looking at London Station. If Gerald exists, that's where he'll be, right at the top of the circus. Literally, in fact, the fifth floor. Percy Alleline's in charge, right? Yes. Chief and Director of Special Sources. It's those sources, rumour has it, which keep the circus in business. Beneath Percy are three men. Bill Hayden, head of London Station. Aging glamour boy and would-be artist. Don't underestimate Bill's talents, Peter, not in any sphere. Bill's number two is Roy Bland, a former left-wing firebrand. Party as hell. And the third man is Toby Esterhazy, Hungarian by birth. Toby runs the lamplighters. You lot give everything such bloody silly names. Scalp hunters, lamplighters. Lamplighters deal with information gathering and everything that goes with it. As you can imagine, it's a big job. And our mole, Gerald, is one of these four. That's the hypothesis. If it's true, any evidence will be buried very deeply. Gerald, you see, is Carla's masterpiece. Carla? An old Russian fox who sits, if I might mix my metaphor, at the centre of a very extensive web. Very well, Peter, first thing in the morning, photograph whatever you can in Brixton. I know there's a stack of lamplight reports, all the Soviet agents we know about in London. There's a chemist called Lark in the Charing Cross Road. Drop the films in there for development. Tell him they're for Mr Lampton to be collected. Mendel can pick them up. Right. And we'll need to see the duty officer's logs for the dates Ricky claims to have sent his cables. They'll be at the circus. Yes. How are we going to get in? We. Ah. Me, I suppose. Just don't get caught, Peter. What are you going to do? Me? Oh, I shall be taking a little trip to Oxford. There are men who go back to Oxford and find their youth beckoning to them from the stones. Not me. Ten years ago I might have felt a pull. Not now. Something's niggling at you. I was thinking about Jim Priddo. He must have arrived here the year I went down. The same year as Bill? Jim and Bill. They must have made an odd couple. Bill, the painter and socialite. Jim, the athlete. Hanging on his every word. Hello, Connie. You're smiling. <laughs> Why, you lovely darling man, I thought you were selling me a hoover, bless you, and all the time it's my oldest, oldest lover. Come to see me. <laughs> in, in... My last underhead of the day has just gone. I'm teaching again. I don't know why. Oh, of oh, all the lovely darling men I ever knew. <laughs> he walked flush. Look at his boots. Walked all the way from London, didn't you, George? And what's he got in his briefcase? A Montelado. <laughs> That's right, isn't it? Oh, bless. God bless. <laughs> You'll have to pour, you darling man. His awful talons can't grip too well. Arthritis? Don't speak the word. Don't acknowledge it. Use the big glasses. There's a darling. Did he walk alone? Not accompanied, were we? <laughs> Want a cigarette? No, thank you. So, what does George want from Connie, you bad boy? Her memory. <laughs> What part? We're going back over some old ground. Hear that, Flush? First they chuck us out with an old bone, then they come begging to us. 
Which ground, George? I've brought a letter to you from Laken. If you're worried, you're to call him from the phone box down the road. He'll make the necessary impressive noises. Oh, George. How could you let a Laken in? Yeah. Do you know what you told me when they threw me out, that personnel car? You're losing your sense of proportion, Connie. She said it's time you got into the real world. Well, I hate the real world. I liked the circus and... Oh, my lovely boys. Polyakov. Alexei Alexandrovich Polyakov. Cultural attaché, Soviet Embassy, London. He's come alive again. Just as you predicted. Oh, you men. Oh, George. Why do you have to drag up Alex? Hello. Can I speak to Jenny? There's no Jenny here. I'm sorry to have bothered you. This is Will. And this is Arthur. How's Will? I want to give you the headlines now in case I go under a bus. That's right, Will. Can't be too careful. You'll be happy to know I passed my exams. One or two sticky questions, but I managed to get through them. Thanks. I got those happy snaps from the chemist, by the by. Came out a treat. Not a miss among them. Once upon a time, George, way back in 63, there was a Russian defector who told Connie a big, big secret. In a training camp near Moscow, in a compound within a compound, there lived a nasty spider called Carla. And in this compound, the compound within a compound, Carla ran a special school for training military officers in conspiracy. For years, we'd heard he was trying to build a private army inside Moscow centre, but in March 63, he had the power and was doing something about it, as any real man would. So after Connie learned that secret, she went back to the usual game. Sit on your thumbs. Whistle for a wind. Three years I sat on them. Polyakov, Connie. Alex? Oh. oh, Alex was so good. Polyakov, Alexei Alexandrovich, graduate of Leningrad State University, married but not accompanied by wife, born the 3rd of March 1922. Jolly giant of a bloke. I'm sure he was a bottom pincher, though we never caught him at it. <laughs> Alex was far too fly. Lovely voice. Mellow. Like yours. I often used to play the tapes twice just to listen to him speaking. Is he really still around, George? I'm afraid they'll all change and I won't know them anymore. Oh, he's still there. Same cover, same rank. For seven years. Not a tickle. Polyakov was pure as the driven snow. Asked Toby Esterhazy, asked Percy Alleline, unbesmirched in any shape or form, Alex was. <laughs> well, fooey. Sheer, unadulterated fooey. Steady, Connie. Polyakov was a Carla-trained hood, if ever I saw one. 
They wouldn't even listen to me. You're seeing spies under the bed, Connie. <laughs> well, oh, you tried to help, you lovely man. But you were on the downstairs yourself. Oh, George. George, don't go hunting with the Lakers. Please don't. Polyakov, Connie. <sighs> yeah, all right. Connie didn't give up. She nagged and she nagged. And in the end, Toby Esterhazy had his lamplighters cover Polyakov for random days, 12 out of 30. And, my dear, you'd have thought I'd rung him up and told him, Alex Alexandrovich, mind your P's and Q's, cos I'm putting tiny Toby's dogs on you. Not a sausage. <laughs> he was transferred to the B-list, and after three years he was graded Purcell. Oh, there was nothing I could do. And then, one gorgeous November day, Remembrance Day, Alex Polyakov splashed his true colours all over the masthead. Oh, yes? <laughs> he appeared beside the Soviet ambassador and his chest was covered in medals. He was a war veteran, George, and he had never told a soul. Oh, I rang Toby straight away. I said, Toby, you just listen to me for a moment, you Hungarian poison dwarf. Connie's little hunters come home trumps. Turn Alex Alexandrovich inside out, no ifs or buts. And still he refused? Oh, now Toby tells Percy. And Percy drags me in. Says not everyone who fought in the Russian army was Carla's agent. Accuses me of unscientific deduction. My word, he was cross. Spike his house, I say, his car, everything. Rig a mugging, put the listeners on him, anything, but for God's sake, do something, because it's a pound to a rouble that Alex Polyakov is running an English mole. And Percy gets all lofty, you know. You're to put Polyakov out of your mind. I followed it up with a rude letter. We spoke and you agreed, you know. Copy to head, cow. Oh, my lordy be. Did Polyakov have a leg man? Lapin the rabbit. Clark driver at the embassy. Twerp. I couldn't work him out. Nobody would help me. Not by then, anyway. Too late. Connie was sacked and Lapin went hippity-lippity home. Hey-ho. Halcyon days. You'll be going now, won't you? Now Connie's talked. Soon. <laughs> Did I start a landslide, George? No. I've got a medal, you know. It's in a suitcase under the bed. A real medal in a box. And a typed citation. Connie was a good girl and loved all her gorgeous boys. There's a dedication signed by everyone. Goodbye, Connie, we'll miss you. And a caricature, really marvellous. Bill Hayden did it. Yes. You never liked Bill, did you? I heard he once had a run around the park with Anne. That's all. I always thought you'd have been so good together, you and Bill, if it could have worked. You'd have brought back the old spirit. Instead of that twerp Percy. Bill rebuilding Camelot and George. George. 
towards picking up the pieces. <laughs> All over the world, beastly people are making our time into nothing. Why do you help them? I'm not. Of course you are. Poor loves. Trained to empire. Trained to rule the waves. All gone. You're the last, George. You and Bill. And filthy Percy a bit. <sighs> Goodbye, Connie. If it's bad, don't come back. I'm an old leopard, and I am too old to change my spots. I want to remember you as you all were. Lovely, lovely boys. How was Oxford? Rather damp. How did you get on, Peter? I got into the circus, all right. Bumped into Bland and Esterhazy on the fifth floor. The unspoken message was deafening. We of London Station have more important friends. That's no surprise, surely. The mood turned downright hostile. They scuttled into Hayden's office and shut the door a little too pointedly. Something's going on and all three are in on it. You think they know about Tar? Who knows what they know. Did you manage to get into the records room? It wasn't easy. I checked the duty officer's ledger for the nights of the 10th and 11th of April when Tar cabled about Arena. The pages have been cut out with a razor blade. Mm. There's a note. All inquiries to London Station. It's in Esterhazy's handwriting and dated last Friday. The day Tower arrived in England. Thank you, Peter. I'll go over all the papers tonight. Some people sleep. So I hear. What can I do? The most useful thing, really the best thing, would be for you to find Jim Prido. I'll make discreet inquiries, shall I? Yes. Yes, that's the thing to do. Discreet, though. Jim's a pro. A field man of the old school. He's good, whatever they did to him. What I didn't tell George was how it felt, skulking about the circus, getting in on a pretext, lurking in corridors, hoping nobody saw me. They're supposed to be friends and colleagues, for God's sake. Yes, all right, I was trying to find a traitor, but it was me who felt guilty. That's it, Jumbo, that's it. <laughs> and break. Foot down. That's right. Oh, oh, easy, Jumbo. Well done, lad. You all right? I, I never dreamed you'd let me drive the Alvis, sir. Well, you helped me do it up, didn't you? Yes, but... A man needs his reward, Jumbo. We'll get some of the others together, perhaps. Start a club. The Alvis Club. What do you think? Yes. Yes, thank you, sir. Got your specs on, Jumbo? Yes, sir. Who's that? Up there by the trees. I don't know, sir. Not staff, not village. So who is he? Beggar man? Thief? I think he's to do with the church, sir. I saw him talking to Wells Fargo. <sighs> Sorry, sir, Mr. Spargo, the vicar. After the service. Hear what they talked about? They were looking at pew lists. With all the names, sir. Where mm. all the boys sit. Boys and staff, right? If you see him again, let me know. Don't hold with old bods hanging about the school. <sighs> he might be after the elders. Colour of hair? Black, sir. Height? Six foot, sir. Everyone looks six foot to you. <laughs> I reckon you were fed on gin as a baby. I was not, sir. 
After that, young Bill Roach saw a steady darkening of Jim Prido's face and something in him which was a bit like anger. As he sat on the step outside his caravan every evening, indifferent to cold or wet, smoking his tiny cigar, sipping his vodka, his eyes fixed on the horizon. In part one of Tinker Tailor's Soldier Spy by John le Carre, dramatised by Sean McKenna, Smiley was played by Simon Russell Beale and Gwillem by Ewan Bailey. Anne was Anna Chancellor, Prido, Anthony Calf, and Lakin, Alex Jennings. Mendel was Kenneth Cranham, Connie Sachs, Maggie Steed, and Ricky Tarr, Jamie Foreman. Irina was Vera Filitova, the Magyar, Peter Meyer, Roddy Martindale, Philip Fox, and Bill Roach, Ryan Watson. The director was Stephen Canney. Thank you for listening, and don't forget to join us tomorrow for yet another amazing story.